this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Jeremy's Bob Pro The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. I was listening to something this morning, and it kind of made me laugh. Uh, may not make you laugh. You might think of and realize the seriousness of what happens when it comes to college football and how seriously regions and states and, like I said, entire quarters of the country take their college football. But Texas football coach Steve Sarkeesian is apologizing. Apologizing for not participating in the singing of Texas's song after their loss to Oklahoma State in a game this past Saturday. And I summarize it by just making one point. Had Texas won like it was expected, like it was expected to be a regular occurrence when they hired Steve Sarkeesian as their head football coach, nobody would care about the song. And you may say, John, you're a little bit wrong because you're not understanding how invested the the boosters are and how much it's about the pride of the students and how they get everybody on board. The football coach is different than being a football coach, let's say, in the NFL. Uh, Yes, you control your roster. You control recruiting. You bring certain players. You're responsible for your coaches. You're responsible for what players are playing and what players aren't playing. But there's that added responsibility when it comes to uh, representing the brand, representing the university. And in that case with Sarkeesian, it is uh, leading the crowd you know, after every home game, whether you win or lose. But the problem is, nobody would care at all had Texas beaten Oklahoma State. And that's the biggest issue that I see in the world of sports today. As I get into my prolegomenal point of this show, it's very important to talk about the obviousness of difference between a win and a loss. And this might sound like basic math once again. And I hate to sound like I'm talking down to anybody because I'm not. I'm not trying to say it in an elementary way. I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm not trying to make anybody think that I'm trying to come off brighter or more intelligent than anybody else. I'm bringing this up because it's an epidemic in the world of sports. How teams are treated, players are treated, coaches are treated, entire organizations. And you could start with college football. Like I said, had Texas beaten Oklahoma State, nobody would give in a flying shit about singing their alma mater song at the end of the game. They wouldn't have cared if Steve Sarkeesian ran off the field, but you know, most importantly, if they, if they won, he would have been happy to go sing. You're looking at the NFL, you're looking at Major League Baseball, you're looking at basketball and hockey as they're getting going right now, and they're all judged by the same basic thing, whether a team wins or whether a team loses. And maybe there's a reason that I'm dragging this point out, but I'm going to get to it eventually, and you're going to understand. Winning and losing 
are certainly the difference between uh, people keeping their jobs, fans being sane, fans being happy, fans being sad. But the problem is, is it starts with the media and it starts with fans, their belief that they're so much more intelligent than the very sports that they're following. And what they're trying to do with this extra added intelligence is better justify why things aren't going right in a situation where a team is winning and things are going right in a situation where a team is winning. And once again, common denominator, a team wins, you could look at the sky being bright, the sun is out, the sky is blue, everything's rosy, everybody looks pretty. Bad performances, bad things, errors, penalties, different things that happen over the course of the world of sports that we would be a little more nitpicky about. We're not. We we let it go by. It's a pass. Team won. Team loses. Those same very things that happened, we're going to get on. We're going to point out. We're going to micromanage each individual player. We're going to micromanage each coach. Because all of a sudden that coach has no idea what they're doing. If they just won like the fans and the media wanted to, we'd say that coach was good at their job. And you're looking at two distinct situations happening in the NFL with first-year head coaches. And it's really the same thing that's working for one and not working for the other. And it's funny. Brian Dable with the New York Football Giants is looking like the second coming of Bill Parcells. He is looking like Tom Coughlin in the two years that he led the Giants to the Super Bowl. He's looking like the best coach the Giants ever hired. He's making them forget about Joe Judge. He's making them forget about Pat Shermer and Bob McAdoo. I'm sorry, Ben McAdoo. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's made that mistake, confusing the former head coach of the Giants with the uh, Hall of Fame basketball player. Little, both names start with B. Three-letter names, Ben, Bob. You can see how you can make the same mistake. Obviously, things look great for the Giants. The coach looks great. Greatest hire. How can you imagine hiring anybody else now? Where were the Giants thinking when they hired their previous couple head coaches? Just bring in Brian Dable. Look at what he has done to that team. He's changed the culture. They got the second-best record in the NFC. They're 6-1 for the first time since 2008. Is it all on the coach? Well, coach will take a lot of credit. Just like the previous coaches took a lot of shit for the team not responding. Now, is it up to the coach to get a team to respond? I think it's up to a coach to get a team to buy in and understand what they are. And sometimes, if you have lesser quality players players that aren't ready to perform perhaps at their best, it may not be possible to get players to play above their heads. You're looking in Chicago, good win over the New England Patriots in Foxborough. Matt Eberflus looks like he's got a pulse on what's going on there. The players seem to be playing hard for him. But I wonder if you say that same thing if the Chicago Bears go out there and lose their next four games. That's one thing I want you to think about. Take that positive feeling that you have with the head coach of the football giants, Brian Dable.
And like I said, you're feeling pretty good about Matt Eberflus. You understand that there is nowhere near as much talent in Chicago as there is, let's say, in Los Angeles or you know even Dallas or Philadelphia for that matter. And obviously, there's other teams underperforming in that conference. You know, both with the last name of Bay, right? I'm not talking about Jason either. Two teams with the last name of Bay. A lot more talent. But I wonder, you know, how long does it take? You know, how long does a honeymoon go on for? Because, you know, there's that also, hey, you just hired a coach. You want to give him a little bit of a chance. In Chicago, you're down on Matt Nagy because Matt Nagy never delivered. That team didn't get to the Super Bowl like they did under Lovey Smith. A couple playoff appearances. Didn't seem to be moving in the right direction. Changed quarterbacks. You know, first obviously to Trubisky and then to Justin Fields. And you look at them right now and you say, they're playing with spunk. They're playing with spark. Seems like they're playing really hard. But like I said, give me four straight Chicago Bears losses and tell me if you feel the same way. Giants, you can make a case that they've outperformed based off of the talent that they have on the football field. And when that happens, I give the coach every last bit of a credit of the credit, just like you should in the media, just like you should as a fan. Giants drop their next five games hypothetically, and don't come to me if that happens. I'm not predicting it. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But if it does, I want you to tell me if you believe the same in the coach at six and one as you do when a team is six and six, because sometimes. You know, coach can only account for so much. And the expectations of the Giants were not to be so good this season. Maybe win seven games. Maybe be an improvement over last year. Obviously, they've shown that already. They've, uh, they've, they've had a very good season to this point. But if things change, does it automatically mean that Brian Dable forgot what it's like to coach? And you look at the other extreme. What I've talked about a lot on this show is the overhype of the Denver Broncos and how great they were going to be. Nathaniel Hackett, offensive genius. They brought in Russell Wilson. The Broncos were going to be the best team in the AFC West. Right now they look like the worst team, not in the AFC West, but in all the West divisions. I put the Seattle Seahawks over them right now. And that was the team that had Russell Wilson and is starting Geno Smith right now. Is that all because of the coach? It's amazing how quick people were, are able to flip on Nathaniel Hackett. Now, it's easy to do. It's easy to do. You get all psyched and hyped up for the coordinator that's getting a job. It's a big chance. Is he going to be the next Sean McVay? Or is he going to be the next, I don't know, North Turner? And I'm not putting North Turner down. North Turner coached a lot in the NFL as a head coach and both as an offensive coordinator. But a lot of people relate to North Turner. A lot of people understand when I throw the name North Turner out there, and you say, hey, he's a, he's a hell of a coordinator. Maybe not the greatest head coach. And you start to think about that, at, about Nathaniel Hackett right away. But once again, you're talking about the difference between a win and a loss. Let's say the Broncos, Russell Wilson's healthiest week, they go out there and they bust off four straight wins. They, they win against Kansas City. They win another game that... You know, a lot of us is, that have followed the Broncos for the first seven or so weeks of the season didn't believe that they were going to be able to 
come come across with? Are you all sudden thinking that Nathaniel Hackett learned how to be a coach in the league? All of a sudden he knows how to coach? All of a sudden he learned? Hey, he didn't know what he was doing before, and now he's great. It's like the whole Casey Stengel argument. Casey Stengel was a lousy manager with the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Boston Braves and Bees. G- managed the Oakland Oaks in the Pacific Coast League, a loaded team that had you know none other than Billy Martin on it, but a lot of really, really good young players that ended up playing in the major leagues. Got a chance to be the New York Yankees manager hired in 1949. Has the greatest stretch for the next 12 years. Makes it to the AL pennant, what, 10? 10 of those 12 years? Wins the World Series seven times? All of a sudden, Casey Stengel figured that out, right? He learned what it takes to be a good manager. Wasn't the common denominator the talent on the field, though? You know, when you manage a team that's got, you know, old, decrepit, washed-up players with the Dodgers and the Braves... Dodgers and Braves teams that don't get better until well after Casey is there. And then you inherit the Yankees right when Yogi Berra's coming up. Right at the time Joe DiMaggio passes the uh, pun intended mantle to Mickey. Whitey Ford comes up and it's the greatest Yankee dynasty in the history of the sport. Oh yeah, Casey Stengel. It's all him. Casey Stengel suddenly learned how to manage in Major League Baseball. And then he took over the Mets in 1962. And it had nothing to do with the fact that the Mets brought in a bunch of washed-up players just hoping that they could get fans to buy tickets to the game because they recognized the names of some of the players. They didn't care if they were good anymore. They just wanted the fans to know the names. They didn't build a team there. But now it's all on Casey. Casey, he, he he lost it. He forgot what it was to manage. The game passed them by. And then Joe Torre, another Hall of Fame manager. Managed with the Mets as a player manager in the late 1970s. Went to the Braves 82-84, to leading a team to the playoffs in 1982. Did he get a little better as a manager with the Braves because the Braves made the playoffs? Took over the Cardinals for Whitey Herzog, right? And you look at Ted and you... Watch how that kind of crashed and burned with the St. Louis Cardinals, the Hall of Fame manager before Joe Torre and Whitey Herzog. And I know Mike Jorgensen was there for a little bit. Hall of Fame manager after Joe Torre. I know Red Shandice was there for a little bit after Torre got fired in 1995. But Joe Torre's reign as the Cardinals manager was looked at as very bad for a historically well-run St. Louis dugout. And he goes to the Yankees. Clueless Joe, the New York Post calls him. And what did he do? Four out of five seasons, first five years as a Yankee manager, four World Series championships. So all of a sudden you want to say Joe Torre figured it out. He didn't know what the hell he was doing in St. Louis or or Atlanta or the Mets. All of a sudden he manages the Yankees and he, he becomes Joe Torre, the Hall of Fame manager. This is what we do. It's led by the media and driven by the fans. And sometimes when we think of winning in the world of sports, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about baseball, football, basketball, hockey, a non-team sport, any team sport, the difference between a win and a loss 
is sometimes by the most narrowest of margins. Football, it's tougher because you're only talking about 17 games now. 16 games, obviously, from two years ago and beyond. And what was it, 1982, 83, 84? They played 14 games before that. So think about just that many games representing the certain percentage of your entire season. And a bad break. Um, a missed extra point, a missed field goal, a missed tackle. Um, not getting somebody by one yard in some cases. And that's a loss. And that loss is the difference between a team making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. It's a difference between you thinking a coach is great. You would have thought he was great if he made the playoffs. Now you want him out. You want him fired. And that's what we do in the world of sports. Transitioning, you know, you think about owners just sticking their nose in business where where they really shouldn't. Now I get it, you know, you you financially have you you've used your own money, you own the team, everything that happens, you know, is your financial responsibility. Your responsibility as the owner is to make sure you hire people to make the correct decisions, hire people to get the right players. Have a winning philosophy. And if it's not working, ultimately you're the one that can make the change. You could change the team president, the general manager, the coach. Jim Irsay going uh, full Ted Turner when he's making a quarterback change for the Indianapolis Colts. You know, listen, this is a, a rapid pattern, a, a repetitive thing that Jim Irsay is doing. He keeps involving himself in things that he shouldn't involve himself in. You know, Carson Wentz had a decent year last year. Was it uh was it Carson Wentz of uh you know the the Super Bowl season of the Philadelphia Eagles before he got hurt? No. But he was good. Jim Irsay got involved and Carson Wentz was out. You know, they had Phillip Rivers for one year. Phillip Rivers retired. That was kinda nobody's fault. That wasn't the Colts' fault, that wasn't Phillip Rivers' fault. In fact, Phillip Rivers kinda gave you the indication that he was coming to Indianapolis probably to play one season and retire. He wanted to coach football for his kids. So there's a lack of continuity when it comes to the quarterback position of the Indianapolis Colts. Really ever since Andrew Luck went. But most importantly, you know, they haven't had anybody near the likes of Peyton Manning. They thought they did in Andrew Luck. And the Indianapolis Colts, Jim Irsay included, from a malpractice standpoint, ruined Andrew Luck's career. And now this same owner is going to want to dictate exactly who the quarterback of this franchise is. They're not getting good offensive line play this year for a line that's supposed to be really good. And you could tell because they have an all-world running back in Jonathan Taylor that isn't approaching his numbers of last year. There's a lot that's not going on there. But if I'm the owner probably want to stick my nose out of this situation. I was thinking about ranking uh, 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm going to hit that up on my next show. I'm going to finish the show today with a couple really quick baseball points. Um, Bruce Bochy hired as the manager of the Texas Rangers. And I'll say this. You could take my Mets fan uh, you know, street cred and tarnish it for saying this. But if Jacob DeGrom decides that he doesn't want to pitch for the Mets, 
which I believe that's the only reason he is going to leave the Mets via free agency. You know, he, he has a chance to not be a free agent. He has a chance to speak directly with the owner of the New York Mets, Steve Cohen, and probably negotiate his own contract for his own terms. I don't, I don't think anything uh, uh, out, out of the uh, reins of un, unreasonable can't be hammered out there. So if Jacob deGrom does want to leave New York, which he very well may, I wouldn't mind seeing him teaming up with Bochi in Texas with the Rangers. Think about the half a billion dollar middle infield that they have in Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. They have some young players, but they have a, a minor core that certainly can get a jolt from the likes of Jacob deGrom. I'd love to see if deGrom isn't returning to the Mets, which you know that's what I want to see first. I would like to see a Bochi deGrom combo in Texas with the Rangers. Last thing, Hideki Matsui. Very good career with the Yankees. I think a forgotten about and unknown career prior to that in Japan. I think it's time to get him in the Baseball Hall of Fame. If we're thinking of the likes of Ichiro being probably a no-doubter, and I agree with that. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that there should be any battle against Ichiro getting in the Hall of Fame. 3,000 American baseball hits, more hits than Pete Rose if you combined his stats with Japan. And if you're going to do that, it's not to take anything away from Pete, the all-time American hits leader who also belongs in the Hall of Fame. But I think it's time to combine Hideki Matsui's home runs and realize that he has 507 combined between Japan and the United States. And to me, that's a Hall of Famer. And if you're talking about players that we are continuing to try to find reasons to not put in the Hall of Fame, there's another one that belongs. Let's get Hideki Matsui in there. The Passball Show is brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hopefully we'll try to do a couple more shows a little bit here and there. Um, always appreciate your comments, voicemails. You know, you want to send me something, 732-513-5927, jrpele at gmail.com, Twitter at John underscore Pele. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on in my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude there are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And 
what side of the spectrum they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100% unequivocally that pitcher was throwing at him. They put their tail between their legs, decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.